It'd be great to have Daniel 3 open in front of you. And I wanted to start by um, uh, telling you about a time when I heard someone speak about their first ever Kung Fu lesson, because it was very funny. Uh, This guy said that he arrived at his first lesson ready to kick heads, right? Uh, But instead of kind of Jackie Channing it up, he said he spent the entire 45-minute lesson just learning how to stand. He said he had to imagine himself standing on a big clock face and then he had to step forward with his left leg on 11 o'clock, back with his right leg on 5 o'clock and then he had to set his weight. Then he stood up. Then he said they did it again and again. And then he said they swapped legs, right? And then they did some other poses and then they finished. And this guy said he felt like he'd just wasted his time. He reckoned he could have learnt more Kung Fu kind of walking face first into a spider's web. But then he said this. He said, If I had more patience, I would have come to see that knowing how to stand is the key to Kung Fu. Because your stance enables you to make moves properly, it allows you to fend off challenges and it helps you to not get knocked off your feet. Now, The reason I mention that is because today we're up to Daniel chapter 3. In Daniel 3, Daniel himself drops out of the picture for a bit. You might remember at the end of chapter 2, he was appointed to a high place in Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom, so he might be off doing some of the king's business. But he doesn't appear at all in this chapter. Instead, the focus shifts to his friends, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. And we find them on the plains of Dura in Babylon... And they are facing enormous pressure to bow down and worship an idol. And what we're going to learn today, if we have the patience to see it, is that if knowing how to stand is vital for Kung Fu, it is far more important knowing how to stand for God. So let's have a look. Come with me to the plains of Dura in Babylon. Have a look at verse 1 of chapter 3 with me. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, 90 feet high and 9 feet wide, and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Okay, a statue on the plains of Dura. And immediately we want to know what's important about this statue. What can we know about it? Well, first of all, we can know it's pretty big, like it's 27 metres high. That's about nine storeys. If you've ever been to the Big Banana, this is kind of like four or five Big Bananas stacked on top of each other. It's a tall statue. What else can we know about it? It's made of gold. But that's about it, right? That's about all we're told about this statue. We don't know anything else. And that's important in the story because it tells us that the statue isn't really that significant. No one was there that day on the plains of Dura for the statue. No one was there that day because they had a kind of statue-shaped hole in their heart and they were longing to worship it. Everyone was there that day because Nebuchadnezzar commanded them to be there. Verse 2. Nebuchadnezzar then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisers, treasurers, judges, magistrates and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. And verse 3 tells us that the satraps, the prefects, the governors and all the rest, they did come. And once they'd all gathered around this statue, 
Then Nebuchadnezzar commanded them to bow down and worship it. Verse 4. The herald loudly proclaimed, This is what you are commanded to do, O peoples, nations, and men of every language. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And they do what they're told. Verse 7. As soon as they heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and all kinds of music, all the peoples, nations, and men of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Now, you've been very quiet listening, but the whole description here, it's a bit of a joke, right? Like, we're meant to find this funny. Every time someone plays the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipes, all the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the advisors, the judges, the magistrates... It's a mouthful, like something from a Dr. Zeus book. They all bow down to this unimportant statue somewhere out in the desert. It's like some crazy children's party game, like a version of musical chairs. And it's all a bit of a joke. And we're meant to have a laugh as we read this. Except this isn't a joke for King Nebuchadnezzar. Look at how very seriously he takes it all in verse 6. Whoever does not fall down in worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. As silly as all this sounds, there are very real and very serious consequences for not bowing down. And that puts a whole lot of pressure on Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, three teenage refugees. Because on the one hand is Nebuchadnezzar, a king they can see, And he's commanding them to bow down to this statue. But on the other hand is their God, who they can't see, but who in the law has told them never bow down to statues and never, ever worship them. So what will they do? What do you reckon you'd do if you were there with Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego that day? If you knew that just a small moment of unfaithfulness just to bend your knee, like just slightly, just for a moment, would save you from the flames. What do you reckon you'd do? I doubt that's a hypothetical for you in lots of ways, and it's not for me. I can remember times in my life when I've stood up as a follower of Jesus, and I've been faithful to him, and I've copped abuse for it. Unfortunately, I can remember a lot more times when small moments of unfaithfulness to God that no one else knew about meant that I didn't get a hard time from the people around me. And I'm sure you've realised that faithfulness to Jesus here and now, it will set you at odds with our society. And that was certainly true for Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. But they decided to stay standing. And that did put them at odds with the people around them and especially with the king. See, what happens next is that some of the astrologers notice that Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego aren't bowing down and so they run off to tell King Nebuchadnezzar. Let's pick it up from verse 12. They said to the king, There are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, O king. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you've set up. 
So Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego decide to stay standing. And when Nebuchadnezzar hears about it, he is absolutely ropeable, right? Verse 13, furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. And he gives them one last chance to do what he says. Verse 15, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? I think most of us can't even begin to imagine the kind of pressure these teenage boys would have been under. Their lives were about to end. And all they had to do to save themselves was to be unfaithful to God for a moment, bow down to a statue, and no one else needed to know about it. Incredible pressure. Unbelievable temptation. But have a look at how they respond. Verse 17. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O King. That's a great response, isn't it? That's a commendable response. They are confident. They are confident that God exists. They're confident that God is able to save them. And they're confident that God will save them. But by choosing to stand with God, they have put themselves in very real and very immediate danger. Out of the frying pan, into the fire, so to speak. Because when Nebuchadnezzar hears their answer, he flies into a blind, murderous rage. He is that angry. Verse 19. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. Verse 22. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. It's an intense picture, isn't it? Even though Nebuchadnezzar's command is so silly to worship an unimportant statue out in the desert somewhere, it is still really, really dangerous to stand up against it. And Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, they do decide to stand against Nebuchadnezzar. They decide to stand for God and they're thrown into a furnace for their troubles. makes you wonder, doesn't it? Where on earth is God in all this? Is it worth standing for God? And what, if anything, is God going to do about it? Well, what God does is that he stands with them. Let's pick it up from verse 24. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leapt to his feet in amazement and asked his advisers, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, O king. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. So these three teenage boys make their stand and because of it, they feel the fury of the king and they find themselves in the flames, but then they discover 
that they're not alone. They make their stand for God and they find that God stands with them. It says, one like a son of God was with them in the flames. And King Nebuchadnezzar can't quite believe his eyes and so he calls Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego to come out and what follows in these next few verses is this incredible, amazing, complete transformation, a reversal. So have a look. At the start of the chapter, you might remember, the satraps, the prefects, the governors and all the other powerful, important people, they gathered around to see the statue Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Now at the end of the chapter, all those same people, they gather around to, look at, to witness God standing with his people and keeping them safe. Verse 27. The satraps, prefects, governors and royal advisers crowded around Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their heads singed, their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Also, at the start of the chapter, Nebuchadnezzar commanded the men of every nation and language and people to worship his statue. Now, at the end of the chapter, he commands those same people to acknowledge the God of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. Verse 29. Nebuchadnezzar said, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego will be cut into pieces and their houses turned into piles of rubble. But here's the greatest reversal, right? Back in verse 15, Nebuchadnezzar had mockingly asked Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Look at what he says now at the end of verse 29. No other God can save in this way. It's a complete reversal, right? And do you see what Nebuchadnezzar learned in this chapter? He learned that the God of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, our God, is powerful and he is able to save in a way that no other gods possibly can. And so he deserves to be praised. That's a good lesson to learn. And here's what Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego discovered in this chapter. They discovered that despite enormous pressure to give in to the king, to fit in with the people around them, to give up on God and instead to bow down to idols, despite all that pressure, when they stood for God, what they discovered was that God stood with them. But what about us? What do we learn from Daniel 3? Well, at least two things, I reckon. Here's the first thing we learn from Daniel 3. There is a very real danger to you if you make your stand for God. There is a very real danger to you if you make your stand for God. In Daniel 3, it was clear, wasn't it? that it was dangerous for Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego to stand with God against King Nebuchadnezzar. Even though Nebuchadnezzar's command was silly and it had no real basis, it was dangerous to stand up against it. And it's exactly the same for us. This is what Paul says in 2 Timothy. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. See what it says? If you make a stand as a follower of Jesus, you will be persecuted for it. 
And we already know that, don't we? Our society makes demands of us. It makes demands of everyone. Demands that have no real basis. It seems silly to go along with them, but it's dangerous if you don't. For instance, in our society, you are not to take the Bible seriously. In our society, you cannot believe, regardless of what Jesus said, that he is the only way to gain eternal life. You cannot seriously believe that. In our society, you cannot believe that God decides right and wrong, especially when it comes to human sexuality. Our society demands that you cannot believe those things. Now, there's not actually any real basis for demanding that we don't believe those things, but our society demands it anyway. And I'm sure you're starting to realise just how dangerous it is to refuse and instead to make a stand as a follower of Jesus. The fury you face from people when you don't go along with it. The flames that start to flicker around when you won't bow down. There is a very real danger to you if you make your stand for God. But here's the second thing we learn from Daniel 3. If you make your stand for God, you will never stand alone. Because you will never just stand for the king, you will stand with the king. When Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego made their stand, they found that one like a son of God stood in the flames with them. The son of God, Jesus Christ, he made a promise to his followers. This is what he said. Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. When you make your stand as a follower of Jesus and when you feel the fury of your friends or your boss or your family or society, know this. Know that the Son of God stands with you. Surely to the end of the age. And look, sometimes Jesus will stand with you as a shield, like he did for Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. You'll stand waiting for the flames to come and they won't come. Because in those moments, Jesus will be with you, shielding you, surrounding and protecting you. Sometimes, though, you will feel the flames when you make your stand. People will say things and their words will cut you and it will hurt. People will walk away from you and you'll feel loneliness. Chances, opportunities that you might have had will be taken away from you because of the stand you make. And in those moments, you'll know that Jesus is still with you as your brother. You're suffering like he did. And you'll never feel closer to him than when you suffer alongside him. Sometimes, for many of our brothers and sisters in other nations of our world, Jesus is with them as a guide. Because for so many brothers and sisters in our world, the flames are very, very real. They make their stand and they're murdered because of their stand. And in those moments, Jesus is with them as a guide calling them home to a place where there's no more death or mourning or crying or pain. 
to a place where their scars are their glory. Jesus makes a promise. Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age and he will keep it. And look, if you doubt that Jesus can keep the promise to stand with you in the flames, then you need look no further than the time he stood for you in the flames. Jesus will stand with you, you can trust that, because on the cross he has already stood in for you. Jesus stood in the flames of rejection and betrayal and suffering for you. Jesus stood in the flames of judgment for you. And on the cross he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that was a cry that should have been on my lips and it should have been on your lips for the sins we have committed against God. Jesus stood in those flames for you. Jesus stood in the flames of death for you. And so you can trust him when he promises to stand with you. You know, as you go through life, there will be lots and lots and lots of people putting pressure on you to compromise just a little bit, to be unfaithful to Jesus just a little bit. Friends, family, boyfriends, girlfriends, teachers, lecturers, bosses, partners. And there is a very real danger to you if you choose to make your stand for God. But you would be a fool to turn away from Jesus, to avoid persecution, to be accepted by the people around you. Because none of them, none of those other people will stand with you in the flames. When you make your stand for Jesus, he alone promises to stand with you in the flames. And you can trust him. You know he'll keep that promise because he has already stood for you in the flames. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thanks for Daniel chapter 3. Thank you for your love and care for Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. Thanks for the incredible way that you stood with them in the flames and kept them safe. And Father, we're especially thankful for Jesus and the promise that he makes to be with us, his people, to the end of the age. And so, because he promises to stand with us and because he has already stood for us at the cross, help us, please, move us. Uh, Encourage us that we might stand for Jesus, that we might stand with Jesus now when things are not so tough and also when things get hard. We want to be people who are committed to Jesus so as to bring him glory and honour. And so please uh, comfort us and encourage us by the fact that he promises to stand with us. And we pray these things in his name. Amen.